0: listening to Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show about books, people who read, and how reading at its very best is a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. There is the
1: old philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Likewise, if you read a book and don't discuss it, have you enjoyed all the perks of being a book lover?
0: I'm your host, Amy, I've been a member of numerous book clubs over the last 25 years and started quite a few. I love asking people what they're reading so that they'll ask me the same. I'm a vintage bookseller, a traveler wannabe, and a fanatic about dogs. And I'm your host, Carrie. I'm an English teacher, a freelance writer, a blogger, and the person whose Instagram feed features more photos of my cats than my kids. Each week, we will talk with a guest who shares the love of reading, how they impart that passion, and what books really catch them on fire.
1: We will also tell you about our literary lives, what books are on our nightstands, and other bookish fun. Welcome. Most readers, at one time or another, dream of writing a book someday. Today on the show, we have Abigail Harrelson, a 20-year-old from LaGrange, a quaint town about 30 miles east of Louisville, who felt inspired to do just that after discovering a local native son, Jack Starkey, better known in Hollywood as Buddy Pepper. Pepper achieved fame and fortune as a musician and actor during the golden age of Hollywood, befriending such stars as Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Abigail will share with us her experience writing her book, why she relates to the culture of the 40s and 50s more than the social media atmosphere of today, and why she enjoys reading books that have stood the test of time.
0: Okay, in the studio with us today we have Abigail Harrelson. And she has written a book about Buddy Pepper, who was a Hollywood musician, a famous Hollywood musician during the golden age of Hollywood. And he's originally from her hometown of Lagrange, Range, Kentucky. And she's going to talk to us today about that book and about the writing process. Welcome, yeah. Abigail. Hi. Thanks Thank for you. being with us.
2: Thanks for having me on here. Very exciting.
0: Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm 20 years old. I've lived in the Grange all my life. I was homeschooled, which, despite people's initial reaction to that, it was a pretty cool experience. Most people, when I would tell them I was homeschooled, would say stuff like, "Oh, so you get to do school in your pajamas," but it was a lot more than that. It allowed me to have more time to explore and develop my interests outside of school, and taught me how to manage my time and balance my work with everything else I did, all of which I'm really grateful for. So,
1: and I should say so. Abigail went to a cottage school, and I was—I had the privilege and honor of being her teacher for two years. So I taught her. I uh, had the
2: privilege and honor of being her student. <laughs> well, thank you. So, um,
1: so you know, we'll we'll get to this, but um, I was—I tried to be a cheerleader to her when when she told me about this idea for the book. So
0: there's mutual admiration. Uh, yes, just oozing, on, oozing out in the studio. <laughs> so, tell us how you got the idea for this
2: book. Yeah, yeah. so I pretty much discovered Buddy Pepper completely by chance. I graduated from high school, had plans to take a gla- gap year, and a lot of those plans I had for it fell through. So in my free time, I started researching and compiling records of my family's history. That became my new hobby, and it eventually led me to have an interest in where I came from, from Oldham County, the history of that town. And so um, I, I started reading a history book on the history of Oldham County, and Buddy was right in there in the pages of that book, pictured with his close friend and associate, Judy Garland. So from there, of course, my interest was piqued. And as I read on, I learned he was a pianist and songwriter, mostly prominent in the 40s through the 60s, so right in the middle of the golden age of Hollywood. And the thing about Buddy is that he wasn't just a musician. He was self-taught. He was a prodigy, even. He started playing piano by ear when he was five years old. And then he didn't even take lessons until he was about nine or 10. Neither of his parents even had a career or a background in show business, um, so he was the trailblazer in his family. And his first audiences were actually right here in Louisville in the palace down the street from here and the Rialto, which isn't standing anymore. Both really beautiful play- theaters. So he sang and danced and played piano there.
1: When you sort of discovered him, was it something that you, you sort of automatically were like, hmm, I need to look into this? Or did, did it kind of take a little while for you to think, hmm, I want to investigate?
2: Yeah, it, it definitely um, got the ball rolling. I just... I don't know what registered me inside, but I just saw that picture and I was like, I know Judy Garland, and that's someone from her hometown standing right next to her. So I I, yeah, I did sort of get things going, and then over time, I just kept, that interest never really went away. And so I just continued to feed it. And
0: did, do you, did you used to watch a lot of old movies? Because there's a lot of kids your age who would not know who Judy <laughs> Garland is.
2: I, I'd seen The Wizard of Oz. I'd seen Meet Me in St. Louis. And so I knew her face. I just didn't know too much more about her. But it was enough to get me excited when I saw her.
0: So I, I read the the first part of your book, and one of the things I found interesting as well is that there's sev- there were several notable people living in Oldham County yes. at the same time that he was sort of coming up. It was, you know... Yeah. embarrassment of riches almost can you tell us about some of the other people as well and just that time period in lagrange yeah.
2: yeah so the 1920s was when he was born and raised in lagrange um so kate matthews she was a photographer she was photographing um Wee valley area really pretty at that time and at around the same time or a little bit before that there had been books written on that um that setting by forget her name right now but she wrote The Little Colonel which turned into a movie of Shirley Temple yes. and Bill Robinson and yes so there were quite a few Hollywood figures from Oldham County including D.W. Griffith who was a silent film director one of the first great directors and really helped bring movies from New York over to Hollywood so there were a lot of great people who came from Oldham County before he came there so.
0: At what point did you think that you could turn this into a book or what made you want to turn it into a book?
2: Yeah, so looking back on the whole process, it was really something that was sort of providential. Everything fell into place and happened for a reason. The plans I'd had for my gap year um, just fell through so I could develop and have more time to discover a newfound interest in history and then learn about Buddy and research his life. And so all the while that I'd been reading through these old newspaper articles on him and getting to know him a little bit better, his rise to fame and stuff, I'd been taking down notes and piecing together an outline of his life always sort of hoping that um, something would come of it down the road and always sort of knowing something would too because his story was just too good not to be shared with others. I mean as I learned more about him and all he com- accomplished and brought to the music and movie industry I was really shocked to find that no one else in his hometown really seemed to know anything about him at all. So I, I think I always sort of knew in some way or another I'd have to share his story of other people.
1: Where did you start? I, You know you, you said mm-hmm. you like read about him in a book but then I guess who did you start to reach out to 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 try to figure out where you could find more information
2: we had um, a county history center the the lady who directed actually wrote the book I read first um, so they had some archives they had you know like pictures and just little newspaper clippings and stuff like that but most of that most of those newspaper clippings I was able to find online so I did a lot of my research online and Really, I had to do a lot of my research online because there were no previously written biographies on him or really much about him out there except for what was in the newspaper articles of, those t- of that time. And there really wasn't even anybody who had known him and talked of him and, you know, been his friend and been in movies with him. All those people had long since passed away by the time I'd started writing, so it was really hard to have first hand accounts and so I pretty much started from the beginning with him just going straight back to the newspaper articles and sort of watching him sort of progress here in Louisville then out in Hollywood. So,
1: so you ended up going out to California. Mm-hmm. So tell us the whole story of that.
2: Yeah, so I went out to California again by chance. I was just volunteering with um, my dad. He was doing a book conference out there, That's the sort of thing he does with his job. So um, we just went out to Los Angeles a few days before, did some sightseeing, stuff like that. And I got to go to the Fort MacArthur Museum in San Pedro, California, just outside of Los Angeles, where Buddy had served for a year or two in World War II, and he was a part of an all-soldier show, they call an all-soldier show there, um, a musical comedy called Hey Rookie, staffed by all the soldiers written, produced, cast by them. So he was in that show there, and it was just really cool to be able to walk around there and see that this is where he'd spent time during the war. and. Even just to go into the Hollywood and meet with his goddaughter, who was the daughter of Margaret Whiting, a very popular um, re- recording artist of her day, she made hits of a lot of great American songbook classics. So it was it was just a really great experience to be able to be in Hollywood, the town in which he or the city in which he, you know, built his career. It was just a lot of fun.
1: That's very so. cool. So you also, if I remember correctly, you also um, made contact with Michael Feinstein. I did, yeah. So that that again, all of this, I, as I look
2: back, at it, it was just everything just fell into place by accident most of the time. So I contacted Liza Minnelli, um, Judy Garland's daughter, just to see if she'd had any contact with him while um, her mother and Buddy were friends. She didn't know who he was, but she's really close with Michael Feinstein. They were getting ready to do a concert that weekend. And so Michael Feinstein, when he heard the question of, hey, do you know Buddy, he's like, oh, I knew Buddy. And so he just shared a little bit with me, which was really great to know that there are actually some people out there who I don't know of who know him. So it just sort of gives more potential and hope for finding more people who can tell me more about who he was on a personal level
1: so did you email Liza Minnelli I did, yeah. oh wow mm-hmm. wow and then how did did Michael email you or did you email him how did how did that happen right
2: so I, I actually emailed Liza Minnelli's publicist and I didn't know that anything was going to come of it but surprisingly enough he asked her about about my email and Michael Feinstein just told him directly and then he probably just emailed me back what he said
0: oh wow (laughs) that's fascinating that's awesome does he does he still have any living relatives
2: he has some cousins quite a few cousins who live in oldham county and i was was able to talk with one of them a little bit but they really didn't know him very well because they grew up with him up to a certain age and then he left and never really came back but it was it was good to speak with some of his family members too
1: did you start out uh, when you were writing? Did you start out, because I seem to remember you were thinking it would be a just sort of a small, you know, maybe like an article. Like, when did you kind of feel like, I think I can make this into a book? And then tell us about sort of your, your choices and your thoughts about the whole publishing route.
2: Right, right. So it was, it was sort of hard to figure out how I would tell a story because not really Not really. any people knew about him or I thought would have an interest in him outside of people in Oldham County and Louisville. And so one day I just realized that I could make that my audience, just focus on Oldham County and Louisville, don't focus on anywhere else. Um, and so a short biography just started developing in my mind, and um, that's where I went from there. And I decided to go the self-publishing route just because I knew if I were to go to a publisher, they'd publish it on a larger platform, and I knew the audience I was talking to was a lot more small and consequential concentrated in that. And I didn't really want to, you know, go through the hassle of having a publisher and then making a lot of decisions for you. I liked having the freedom to design my own book cover and make decisions for the book that otherwise would have been made by somebody else. So I've really enjoyed the self-publishing process so far. It's been a lot easier I thought it would be.
1: So did you, you know, it's very different writing fiction, you know, (laughs) that's all made up and imaginative and coming from your head versus Mm nonfiction. So can you talk a little bit about I mean, was that scary? How? What were your emotions, you know, as you were writing nonfiction? And did you try to work any imaginative uh, parts in there, try to imagine what it was like since you didn't necessarily have all the details?
2: Right. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point to bring up. Um, when you're writing a nonfiction book, you're really telling somebody else's story and what's already happened with fiction, you're just making up your own story. So it was hard writing nonfiction because... I'd have to go back and check my sources over and over again um, just making sure that I was being accurate and r- really telling the story as it happened and not messing anything up and especially telling the story in my own words so making sure that I wasn't telling it too closely to how it was first told in the newspapers but also not revising it so much that I'd strayed from the original story so that, that was definitely a hard part of um, writing a nonfiction book just getting your facts straight and getting it in your own words and that that was the hardest part of it, and I did I did try to be to add a little bit more I don't know flavor to it, um, just so it wasn't just straight facts and kind of boring and dry. So I, I I really researched the time in which these events took place. I got really interested in the popular music of the era and all the people who were in movies and sung those songs, and so. It was good because I got to know that era and come to love that era and really know what it was like. So it was easier for me to write about it and hopefully give the reader, like, a clear picture of the time he lived in and how fun it was. And so that that did add a little bit of flavor, I think, to the book.
1: So how much time would you say, I mean, from the time you sort of discovered him Mm -hmm. to the time you published, how long, I mean, what are we talking about?
2: Yeah, so... From the time I discovered him until the time I finished writing the book was February to July, um, and then I published in January of okay. 2019.
0: So, I've heard some people say, like, when they're, they're doing research for a book, that they could just keep researching forever. Like, how did you know, did you feel like that, and how did you know when to stop? Um, I felt like, to a certain extent, I
2: could just keep researching forever, because I just felt like... I was going deeper and deeper into just about how many articles there were. So a certain year had more on him than another year had on him. Um, and I did finally reach a point where I was like, I, I don't think I can go any farther than this because he just sort of fell into retirement and out of the spotlight. And so that is when I do really wish I'd had some people who knew him who were still, you know, living and had their faculties and could tell me who he was and what he was like. Because I, I do have a picture of who I think he was. He seemed like a really fun um, outgoing, very determined, very driven, um, hardworking person. But I, I really would like some more background on who he was and what he was like to be around and stuff like that. But
1: Do you feel like, you know, in terms of your responsibility as a writer, because he's not here and mm-hmm. because you didn't necessarily have somebody super close to him, did you feel like um, there were certain things that you felt you didn't feel comfortable talking about just because he you, you couldn't necessarily corroborate things
2: yeah yeah there were there were some things that I felt you know I don't really want to say this about him here so I left those things out of the book um th- there was only one or two instances when I was like I'd, I'd like some more people to tell me about this before I put it in the book and I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't writing anything controversial writing anything that if he were here he'd be like um I, I want to speak of say something here and like that's not actually what happened. So I've tried the I've tried to stay as true to the facts as I can and really just make sure I'm telling a story he'd appreciate and say that's what happened. So
1: So what since you've published, what, what has happened? Have you been able to um, make connections with other writers or, uh, you know, in terms of Oldham County, have you, um, I seem to remember there was some kind of like book fair or something like that, that you went to. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I went to um, a Kentuckiana, a local Kentuckiana author's book fair in my hometown of LaGrange. And that was fun. I just connected to a bunch of other authors. Most of them were fantasy and fiction so they weren't really writing nonfiction or biographies or anything like that. But it was, it was still fun to, you know, because you can now relate to these people. They've done the self-publishing journey. They've, you know, taken an idea and worked it into a book. So it, it was a lot of fun to be able to connect with them and just talk with different people about their interests, listen, talk about, you know, what they liked.
1: So do you think that this is something that you're going to continue to do? Or do you think that th- this is, you're like, okay, I've done that. Now I'm moving on to different oh, things. Oh, no,
2: I'd, I'd really love to keep writing. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And that was, that I think was one reason why I was so interested in Buddy was because he was someone who called LaGrange home and I call LaGrange home. And it was just so cool to see an Oldham county, a fellow olden county and go on to do, Make a career of what he loved to do: so writing, playing music, um, using his gifts to entertain other people. And I, it, it was just inspiring to see somebody who could go on and make something of themselves. And so that was one reason why I was so interested in him: was because I have dreams I want to see fulfilled, and so he did that. And
1: that's very cool. <laughs> that's very
0: cool. So you are very, you are very r- young to have <laughs> written a book that's published. Have you had any contact with? other writers that are, are your age?
2: I, I haven't met any writers that are my age yet. So at the Kentucky and Authors Fair, there were quite a few people who were, you know, like middle-aged and above that. So I didn't really connect with anybody who was 20, 30 range. But I'm, I'll probably run into a few people every now and then, but not yet. So.
0: <laughs> so this one was nonfiction. Do you think when you continue writing, you'll want to continue to do nonfiction, or do you think you want, might want to do some fiction as well?
2: So nonfiction was completely a new idea to me, because I never really had an interest in writing that sort of genre. I was more interested in essays and sort of more poetry type stuff. Um, but I, I really like really nonfiction writing now, just telling a real story and sort of carrying on somebody's legacy. I, I really like that. And I, I think I'd like to continue that um, sort of journalistic historical writing.
0: So what are you doing right now?
2: Right now I'm working with my dad at a publishing company um, called Ten of Those. So I'm, I just do office admin, admin work and I travel to conferences, you know, so we've been to Portland and Albuquerque already this year and We'll be in Florida in a couple of months, which will be nice to be able to enjoy that. So publishing's
0: weather. in your blood.
2: <laughs> books are in my blood. My dad's always worked in the book business, and he he loves books. Our house is littered with books, so like they, they serve as like stands for lamps, and just like they <laughs> fill every corner of the house. But so books have always been something that I've grown up with, and writing wasn't an unfamiliar thing to do. For had
0: me. had your parents heard of Buddy Pepper before this? No, they, this? they no? hadn't.
2: No, I've I've run into very few people who knew him. So that was another motive, motiva- motive for me to write his story. So.
1: so tell me a little bit. I mean, it sounds like your parents have been super supportive. What, what did you sort of need from them you know, as you were writing this?
2: I, I didn't really need anything from them. They were, really, um, they were really supportive and really receptive to the idea of writing a book, especially once I sort of knew I was going to do it. So they, they've been really um, helpful throughout the process. So it. your
1: dad didn't have any problems with you dragging him certain places in Hollywood?
2: No, he was he was very excited about it. He, he I think he enjoyed it as much as I did.
1: So what what books do you like to read when you get mm. to choose what, what you want to read? What do, what do you typically yeah, read?
2: I, I'm down to read anything that stood the test of time. So I really like to read classic books, anything I read in high school, like A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, My Antonia. Um, the Grapes of Wrath, so I've continued, tried to continue to read those books since I've graduated. I read The Catcher in the Rye a couple summers ago. Um, and I just recently finished Fahrenheit 451 and I actually got the visit Ray Bradbury's grave while I was out in um, Los Angeles, which was really cool.
1: That is cool. She's, she, it sounds like she's, uh, Amy, she's one of the folks, like we, we love to go places and visit, uh, see cool stuff related to books in those cities. So (laughs) sounds like we could travel pretty easily with you. Yeah.
0: Have you read very much nonfiction or biography before you had written this?
2: Uh, no, I hadn't really. Um, not anything except for like in school, I'd mm-hmm. read history books and stuff like that. Um, so I didn't really have much of an interest in, in reading nonfiction before I'd read about Buddy. Um, so that's something that's sort of developing even now. Um, I'd really like to read some David McCullough books. He's an inspiration for me, um, and just again anything that stood the test of time, I want to read and. Formulate my own opinion on so.
1: Abigail, if people are interested in checking out the Buddy Pepper book, what should they do?
2: They should go to the Amazon.com. That's where that's where it is on sale right now. So it's up there for 11.99 They can purchase and purchase it off Amazon. It's just on sale over there.
1: So. Okay, great, great. And we'll have a we'll have a link to that uh, mm-hmm. with our show notes so that you can get the the correct title and everything. <laughs> Amy and I are in the studio with Abigail Harrelson, who is the author of Pepper at the Piano, the stories and songs of Oldham County's Buddy Pepper. So, Abigail, tell us what's on your nightstand right now. On my
2: nightstand right now, I have The Human Comedy by William Saroyan. Have you ever heard of him?
1: No. No. No.
2: So, he he wrote this book, um, actually, from the screenplay of his Oscar-winning movie of the same name, starring Mickey Rooney and Frank Morgan. It's a, it's a short novel from 1943 written about a poor family living in California during the wartime. So, the main character is a 14 year old boy named Homer who works in a telegraph office, delivers telegrams around town on his bike, and supports his family while also going to school since his brother's been drafted and his father died a few years back. So, it's like a coming of age story. He sort of has his first encounters with the realities of the world while he's supporting his family and delivering telegrams that, you know, give really bad news of, hey, your son's died in war or. Stuff like that. So his eyes are just really open to the world he's going into. and um, It's a sad story, but it's also really good. It just depicts the simple, feel-good things of life while his characters are still struggling through the hard time of World War II. And I actually recommend the movie a lot more than the book because since the book was adapted from the screen- screenplay, if you've seen the movie, then you've read the book. So it's And it's a really good movie. I I love it. So. Okay. What year, Do you know what
0: about what year the movie was?
2: The movie was 1943, as the novel okay. was. So.
0: so did all of your research about the golden age of, of um, Hollywood and Buddy Pepper, did it make you go back then and watch lots more old movies and oh, old definitely. books from that
2: time? Yeah, I've, I've absorbed myself so much in that time period that I know it even better than the culture I'm growing up <laughs> in now. So my brother was me, like, hey, have you heard this song or, you know, this meme? And I'm like, I actually have no idea what you're talking about. Because I I listen to 40s and 50s music. I watch those movies. I even watch those TV shows. So I really love that era just as much as my own era now. So,
0: What's, just out of curiosity, what's a favorite TV show from that time that you have?
2: Um, I'm watching a show called Father Knows Best right now. Okay, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I like that one. That, That one's funny. It's, of course, you know, pretty corny. But it still feels good. That so. was
0: on re- that was on reruns when I was a little kid, and, you know, sometimes I would come home and watch it after school. Yeah. I remember. That's great. And so we have sort of a running segment going on about your favorite book-to-movie adaptation, or it could be the opposite. It could be a movie that you think was better than the book. Do, do you have any that come to mind for you?
2: Yeah, well, The Human Comedy, of course, was um, my movie I thought that was better than the book. But... I'm actually really surprised by the Harry Potter series. I always thought the movies were really well done and um, mo- more or less held to the book. Um, and I've, I've read a few of the Harry Potter books, so I wasn't able to read all of them. But I've enjoyed that movie series just as much as reading the books. So,
0: yeah, I do think they're pretty really spot on. Spot
1: on. Yeah. They've done. Yeah. A really I think good you job can read those. the book and just totally love it, and then watch the movie and totally love that. And yeah. they're they're you know not identical, but mm. really close and. And thoroughly enjoyable.
2: And most and most times I don't even really like to watch the movie of a book I've read and loved. Because it, sort of, it sort of takes away from what I feel like I, I see the book as. So I see the characters a certain way. I see the setting a certain way. And if I love that book enough, I'm like, I don't want to watch the movie. I, I'm pretty satisfied with the image I have now.
0: So. I can respect that opinion. I mean, I really love to watch adaptations, oh, but I, do I can too. respect it, it that opinion. It just depends
2: on the book I've read. So, like, I yeah. haven't watched A Tree Girls in Brooklyn, the movie. I won't watch it.
0: <laughs> we did. Well, so we read that one in our book club uh, a couple of years ago, and we did watch the movie, and it is really good. Okay. But it only covers about the first half. Oh of the book.
2: It's a long book. It's a really long book. Yeah.
0: So you probably should watch that one at some point. It was a pretty good, it's a pretty good adaptation. I've had a couple
2: people tell me that I should watch it, so I might consider it and (laughs) watch it.
1: So Amy, what have you been reading?
0: Well, I found a book this past week by accident. My daughter, who's a sophomore in high school, she in her English class, her they have to read something every six weeks, and her teacher assigned them an assignment. It had to be nonfiction this time, and she doesn't read any nonfiction, so she said, "Mom, get me a nonfiction book." And so I suggested memoir because, that, to me, that's if you don't read a lot of nonfiction, memoir is a good place to start to 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 get more into nonfiction. It can read like fiction, and they're usually very interesting stories. And so she said, okay, that sounds good. I'd like to read something about someone in World War II. So I went on to Goodreads and looked for a list of memoirs set during World War II, and several came up that I thought would be interesting to her. But this one in particular interested me, and I got it from the library. She chose not to read this one. She chose one that was shorter because of course she's a she's a teenager and she wants the quickest quickest read that fulfills the requirements i went ahead and read the one that she rejected <laughs> it's a book called in my hands memoirs of a holocaust rescuer and the uh, name of the author is Irina Gut Updike and this book was published in 2004 And it is a story, it's Irina's story, of her teenage years during World War II. And she lived in Poland with her family. And when Poland was first invaded by the Nazis, her family fled. And she was captured by the Russians. Now, the Russians didn't like the Polish because they thought that they were conspiring against Stalin the Nazis didn't like the Polish because the Nazis wanted Polish land to expand their their German territory so they were on either side of those two um, powers and neither one of them was particularly good for them but she had trained as a nurse when she was 15 and 16 years old so she had some skills she eventually escaped from the Russian camp that she was in but then was captured by the Nazis. But there was a German, I think he was a captain or a major, who took her in as his housekeeper. And from there, she was able to help a lot of the Jewish residents of the nearby ghetto. The point of the book is sort of that you don't all of a sudden become a freedom fighter, or you don't all of a sudden save you know, hundreds of lives. It starts out small. So what she said was she, the first thing that she ever did was she snuck a little bit of food under the fence at the ghetto, and that's how it all started. And by the end, she ended up saving 12 Jewish lives. That's part of what made her story remarkable, was that she was a teenager, and she was able to make such a Large difference. And so, even though I wouldn't necessarily consider this a YA novel, or not a novel, memoir, I wouldn't consider this necessarily a YA memoir, she was a teenager when all this happened. And I think it would be a great book for high schoolers to read, if nothing else, to show them what a difference you can make even at a young, young age. And another interesting thing about it that I just realized was that. It had been made into a Broadway play. So about ten years ago it was on Broadway for about five months. It was called Irina's vow and it was her story. And she has been recognized by the Israeli Holocaust Memorial Society. So uh, it's not just her saying that she did these things. I mean she's been recognized by the Israeli government for her for her work. So anyway, I would highly recommend it. It was a really good read, something I'd never heard of. And, but I, I hope that, that someone will pick it up and read it. Cause I think it's worth the time. How long was it? Approximately. Uh, it was around 200 pages, maybe a little over. And it was an easy, it was an easy read. Now she did have a, uh, writer working with her. Um, but I would say that it was, it was really well written. There was a particular, there were a couple particular quotes in there I really liked, and one of them I posted on my, on my uh, Instagram, but I wanted to read it again because I just thought it was a really powerful quote. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it. Sure. So this is the quote from In My Hands. We did not speak of what we had seen. At the time, to speak of it seemed worse than sacrilege. We had witnessed a thing so terrible that it acquired a dreadful holiness, it was a miracle of evil. It was not possible to say with words what we had witnessed, and so we kept it safely guarded until the time when we could bring it out and show it to others and say, Behold, this is the worst thing man can do.
1: Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I like that.
0: And I would say, I mean, obviously, any, any memoir about World War II and experiencing the, the atrocities of that is going to be heavy, but I would say that this book has a lot of hope in it. And it's about the finding your, your inner strength to make a difference in a world that's not always just. And so I wouldn't say it's a, you know, a complete downer. Obviously, there are things that happen that are horrible. But she really shows you how you, how you can make a change.
1: Well, and it sounds like, um, you know, so much attention, I think, in general— gets drawn towards people who make huge monumental thousands and thousands of people, uh, you know, were saved or hundreds Mm -hmm. of people, but those 12 people were saved. So I think that's powerful.
0: The other thing, when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, that period of time, pretty much everybody had a story. Everybody had an experience. Everybody could write a memoir. Like everybody's individual story is probably worthy who who was in that in those situations is worthy of a memoir it's just it was just such a crazy horrible time that there was so much that you could say about that but this one just I guess stood out to me because of because of her youth and and all that but um yeah I would I would recommend it So what about you? What are you reading? So
1: I am actually rereading a book. Um, It's called The Wednesday Wars by Gary D. Schmidt. And I have taught this to middle schoolers, um, but I'm rereading it now with my son. So to encourage them to bust out of the graphic novel routine, which is fine, but to encourage them to read something else. So I suggested this book. It is fantastic it bring. It's about a boy in the late 1960s who lives um, on Long Island, and he attends a school. And half of his, on Wednesdays, half of his class goes to Temple, and half of his class goes to the Catholic Church. And he is, I believe, a Presbyterian, and so he is stuck at school with his teacher. And so his teacher, Mrs. Baker, tries to find something that she can do with him on Wednesdays. And so she decides that she is going to have him read Shakespeare's plays. So he begins um, with The Tempest. And he realizes that there is a whole lot of really great stuff in The Tempest because Caliban is a monster. And he essentially does his Shakespearean curses and so the the boy his name is Holling Hoodhood, and he thinks this is pretty cool once he gets into it so we learn about Holling's family um, and his family seems perfect but they really are not his teacher Mrs. Baker her husband is actually serving during the Vietnam War so We've got sort of multiple stories going on within it, but it is a great way to introduce Shakespeare to middle schoolers and to make Shakespeare approachable. So when I taught this, I actually had my students, they could pick, they could either read The Tempest or they could read The Merchant of Venice. And so... They got to pick, but that way they At would... The middle schoolers. The middle schoolers. So mm-hmm. sixth through eighth grade, they could pick. So my son, my 11-year-old, has enjoyed this book so much that now he has decided that the next thing we read should be The Tempest. Wow. So, yeah. So I'm totally excited okay. by that. Okay. Yeah. So...
0: So are you going to read it as like nighttime reading, like bedtime
1: reading? Yeah. How are you
0: going to read it? Yeah.
1: So what I do when we read a book like this, I actually read it to them um, because I was actually reading something that children can, even if they can't read a book at that level – Um, they can understand a book that's read to them up until like eighth grade so they are learning vocabulary and they get things from the context of the story so I have been reading to them pretty much every night sometimes they read on their own we take a break but so I'll read the Tempest to them and that way I can explain things and um,
0: but how are you going to do it with Obviously, as it being a play, there's going to be different parts. Are you going to use different voices? How are they going to be able to dif- differentiate uh, the characters?
1: I will probably use different voices, uh, especially for Caliban. And then if I need to, I can just say, okay, this is now Caliban speaking. Mm-hmm. So I can do it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see.
0: Uh-huh. We'll see how Have it goes. you ever done a play
1: with them before? Not my sons, no. Okay. No, I have not.
0: Okay. So... That's that's very. I I have read the Wednesday Wars, and I it is a really um, cute middle aged book. I yeah. think uh, this kind of brings us into a book that we both read recently about Shakespeare. Ah, yes. Um, nice segue. Nice segue uh, by Bill Bryson. The name of it is
1: Shakespeare: The World as Stage
0: by Bill Bryson. So I had listened to this uh, by audiobook and really, really enjoyed it. Bill Bryson reads it, his own work. And I had recommended it to Carrie because I thought that she would would enjoy it too, which I think you did. I did. I did. Yeah. It
1: was pretty awesome. I did so, not realize that, that he had a British accent.
0: You know, he, he has sort of a funny story. So he grew up in Iowa and went to school here, I think at the University of Iowa or, or somewhere nearby. And he... After college, just went over to England. I think he was always sort of an Anglophile. He just went over to England and did odd jobs for a while. In fact, he worked in a he worked in a hospital, and I think that's where he met his wife. But he lived so they married, and then he lived there for like 20 25 years before they ever came back over to the United States. And then he did live here for a while. He taught at uh, Dartmouth. And they lived here for a while. And I do believe that they have moved back now. But I don't know if it's just him having lived there for so long that he sort of picked up a little bit of a British accent or if it's sort of a he always kind of wanted to be British, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that little piece of him. But um, I think both you and I are Bill Bryson lovers. Yes. Probably the first book I read of his was A Walk in the Woods, which is still my favorite. He writes, if you're not familiar with Bill Bryson, he writes uh, a lot of, well, I think he started out mainly writing travel memoir. The Walk in the Woods is a book about he and a friend of his from high school who they have not seen each other for many, many years. And they're not really, their personalities aren't really suited for one another but they decide to take on hiking the whole Appalachian Trail from beginning to end and the thing that I love about Bill Ryson is that he's funny he's funny without being silly like slapstick funny because I don't often read books that are like super silly or anything but um, I just think that he's He's really funny and he cracks me up. But that was probably my favorite. But he's also written one about travel in Australia called In a Sunburned Country. He's written some books uh, about just different parts of England. But this particular book that we started out talking about was about Shakespeare, right? And so, how would you describe that book?
1: It was, it was a history of Shakespeare and the time really, I I think what was most fascinating for me, and I'm actually considering having my high schoolers read it next year, um, because it provides a lot of information about Shakespeare while noting how little we actually know of Shakespeare. So I think there's probably maybe four to six documents or, um, legal things that tell what Shakespeare was doing. And so a lot of the information that we have or, or what we think we know about Shakespeare, uh, we don't actually know. I, I think that was the most fascinating thing about it. So he gives information about the, um, the Elizabethan times. and That was how actually live. my favorite part. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I was interested in Shakespeare as an English major. I mean, you read quite a bit of Shakespeare. I'll admit he was ne- he was never my favorite. I didn't super love reading Shakespeare, but I enjoy that time period. So the Elizabethan, the Jacobean time period, what I liked about this book was all the little details that he gave about what it was like to live during that time. And it really sort of brought the whole thing to life. And it, I didn't think it was super dry. Now I was listening to it, mm-hmm. not reading it. I'm not sure what the reading experience of it would be but the audio version of it certainly wasn't boring I didn't think
1: I think that it would I would I'm planning on getting because I listened to it on audiobook as well I'm planning to get a a copy of the book because there were things that I wanted to go back after listening to it that I thought oh I'd like to go back and be able to reference that which you you can't do when it's an audiobook or at least I haven't figured out how to do that so um I think there's a lot of really good information that students can use. I think because Shakespeare tends to feel scary to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think this book is a nice way to understand Shakespeare without it being scary. I think it's definitely approachable.
0: I would totally agree with that. I felt like, and he describes it this way. In In the audio version, there is an afterword interview. I think maybe it was somebody from the publisher who was interviewing him about about this book. And he said that he didn't feel like he was writing a complete history of Shakespeare, that it was meant to be concise. It was meant to feel a little different than your average biography of Shakespeare's life and all of his works and and everything. This is just sort of a short and sweet book about Shakespeare and what it was what it would have been like to be him at that time. Yeah. It was it was fascinating, I thought. Yeah, so that's another book that if you're not, if you're a person who loves to read, normally reads fiction, wants to dip your toe into the world of nonfiction, it might not be a bad one to try. There are always interesting bookish activities going on in Louisville, and every few weeks we will... Uh, list the highlights of those for you so that you can look into them if you're interested the first one I want to mention is always the Kentucky Shakespeare Festival that goes on every summer here in Louisville it's free Um, it's in full swing right now and it takes place in Central Park in Old Louisville which is it's really a, a beautiful location for that They've already done several weeks of performances of their first play, which was As You Like It. Um, that will come back for a few select dates later in the, in the season. But for now, they are doing the second play in their series, which is Henry the Fourth, Part II. Um, so check their website for a full schedule. But it's a lot of fun. Food trucks get there around 6.30. And then they also have a bar that I believe opens at 7.15. And then the show starts at 8 o'clock.
1: On June 14th, the Portland Museum is hosting an exhibit called Book as Narrative Object, and there is going to be a free reception that is from 5 to 7.
0: The Filson Historical Society often has interesting talks, and they are hosting an author named Jim Higdon, who is an investigative journalist, and he will talk about his book the cornbread mafia and it's a book about the regional homegrown organized crime syndicate that was the largest marijuana syndicate in american history and they call themselves the cornbread mafia uh this event is sold out which is a bummer because i would have liked to have gone but you can get on the waiting list by going to the filson society website and hopefully they'll have a few tickets open up
1: On June 20th, Carmichael's Books will be hosting a talk by locally born author Deb Spira about her newest book, Call Your Daughter Home. It is a fictional story of the hard choices a southern black woman must make to care for her daughters during the 1920s South Carolina leading up to the Depression. That's on June 20th.
0: And on June 24th, it is the grand opening of the new Northeast Regional Public Library branch, and they're having a reception from 10 to 12 for the public to come and see that new space, and I have to admit, I'm pretty excited to see it. That'll be awesome.
1: And then uh, July 12th through the 14th is the Jane Austen Festival at Locust Grove. Um, this year, the book's focus is on Northanger Abbey. You can go to the website, their website, to register for special events, but you can can also just buy general tickets for the festival at the gate. Last year, Amy and I did attend the Jane Austen Festival. We didn't go to any of the teas or anything like that, but we walked around uh, to the different booths and uh, got to see a boxing match. If you like Jane Austen or you just want to see what it's about and see people in costume, the beautiful dresses, I love seeing the just amazing costumes that that women wore.
0: and and People come from all over the country um, to reenact Act, that Regency time period. So that is a really great uh, event that happens in Louisville that's part of what makes Louisville a great place to live and people should check it out. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes about what we talked about, check out our blog site at perksofbooklovers.wixsite.com That's perksofbooklovers.wixsite.com You can also leave us feedback. We'd love to hear your suggestions. And if you're a member of a book club in any form, either in person or virtually, and would like to be a guest, please contact us at our blog site as well. We always want to talk to fellow readers about what they're reading. And a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, Community Radio in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there or live streamed at forwardradio.org.